Price for Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. Coming to you from the Go-Go Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're looking for a holiday party, 604-893-7370. Call the wall. Spread some holiday cheer. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Sassett and Switches conducting things. And this program, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Surrey wants to get you in Nissan Rogue. They just flat out do because they know you're going to love it. Go take a Rogue for a test drive. You'll find out why it is their best seller. And you can finance them from as low as, sit down, you're going to be bowled over when you hear this number. Finance them from 3.99%. What is this? 2018 or something like that? 3.99%. It's all good at Applewood. And uh, further to Applewood... Applewood's Community Giving, supporting Toy Mountain this year. They'll be on site at Guilford Town Center November 30th and December 1st. But prior to that, they are collecting toys and taking donations at all of their dealerships throughout the month of November here. You have another week if you can. Love if you can drop by a Applewood dealership with a new wrapped toy or donation in support of Toy Mountain. Poll question today, asking you, would you lay money on a Canuck to win the Art Ross Trophy? Yes or no, you can vote at Secure Some Price on Twitter and YouTube. And here's the thing, if not now, then when, right? You've got a Vancouver Canuck atop the NHL scoring race you've got two others in contention at different times this year of course they have been tied atop the scoring race why not haven't been able to have this conversation haven't been able to project out like this since the heyday of the Sedines more than a decade ago yeah it's uh I voted yes you've got more uh more candidates certainly you got three shots here the question is what will this even look like at the halfway mark? Can this continue? Yeah. And I'm not saying that it can't, but it's just, it's, it's just been so robust. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much does the slowdown affect them? There's a lot of great players in this league. Quinn Hughes with 30 points leads the National Hockey League by one entering Wednesday's games over David Pasternak and his teammate JT Miller. Kill McCarr is the next defenseman on the list with 27 points. And, of course, the big showdown tonight in Denver between them. Did a welcome mat on this a couple of days ago, Blake. But if Taves and McCarr are sort of the best pair in the NHL, the top-ranked or top-regarded first pair in the NHL, Hughes and Kronick are right there with them. Of course, the one thing that Taves can do alongside McCarr is he is not that purely defensive defenseman. He can play with the puck. He can skate. And so he allows McCarr to be even more dangerous. And this is truly the modern NHL defense pair. I was struck with what Ferraro said last week, that you know his thinking has changed too, that rather than saddle a terrific offensive defenseman puck transporter with a more defensively oriented partner to get that balance on the pair and perhaps even get balance throughout your defensive pairs, 
We have seen the Vancouver Canucks, albeit serendipitously after everybody else was tried in preseason and Kirsten Susie got hurt right before the year began, the regular season began. We have seen the Vancouver Canucks say no. Balanced pairs having one of Hughes or Hronick on the ice at all times or for the majority of the game is less important to us than having a dynamic first pair that can play 25 to 30 minutes a night and also realize all the offensive potential between them. Yeah, and, and I think when you're made up like this, it's it, it's easy to draw that conclusion versus a team like the Avs, who've got guys like Sam Girard, That's it. Bowen Byram waiting That's in the it. wings. Like They've got other options. Right, like their defense is so loaded that whoever plays on the first pair is going to be one of the best pairs in the NHL. Right. They're that deep in blue liners. With the Canucks, it's an act of choice. Like, they're robbing from Paul a little bit to pay Peter. Mm-hmm. And I do think that may well be trend-setting here because I you don't see a lot of that around the National Hockey League. People want that anchored defenseman on the first and second pair, and then we'll try and get by with whomever's on the third pair. In the case of the Canucks, they're saying, no, 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 we don't mind weakening the second pair because the first pair is so dynamic and is going to play so much that we think we're better off winning hockey games that way. We've seen this with single players being leaned on, but to to actually load up with two guys and do this is a little bit unique, certainly. But it's a 60-minute game, and if you're – if you're feeling amazing about your luck for 28 of those minutes, well, you, you've cut the worry in half. Like right. you, you know that you're safe for half the game. Right. Like, for example, Tampa Bay with the Lightning and Victor Hedman. He's played a lot with Chernak, but they have rotated other defensemen through to basically double shift, if you will, Hedman. We've seen that with one guy, right? Like, okay, we got to get this guy on there. Doughty. he would be another in yeah. L.A. But but seeing it with two and a, you know, in stone now pair yeah. is something that's a little more avant-garde. And all situations. Like, Heronic plays well, just as much power, power yeah, right. almost as much power play because he's the, the power play two quarterback, and he plays shorthanded as well. So it's all situations versus those other guys that you talked about, their running mate at even strength wouldn't necessarily get no. the power play time or, or, or exactly. short out of time. Probably one or the other. One or the other. Yep. Yeah. Today, Quinn Hughes and, and the accolades are pouring in here. Gino Retta and that's hockey pointing out that Quinn Hughes, the first defenseman to be the first player in the league to hit 30 points since Bobby Orr in 74-75, and Orr won the Art Ross that year, last defenseman to do it. Mm-hmm. Hughes is number two in TSN's ranking of the top 50 under 24 NHL-affiliated players behind only North Vancouver's Connor Bedard. And if you're looking for Macklin Celebrini on this list, he's uh, not NHL-affiliated just yet, but he is leading the NCAA in scoring. The future... First overall in next year's draft, also a Vancouver kid. And then uh, I caught this headline on RDS, Blake, in La Belle Province. Quinn Hughes, quote, dans la catégorie Kel McCarr. <laughs> so they're talking about it too. Yeah. In, in French Canada, yeah. that Quinn Hughes is now at a Kel McCarr level. 
when we talk about the best defensemen in the NHL. You're going to want to hear our poll question results from yesterday, from Tuesday, later in the show. Queen Hughes versus himself is just as important, is just as uh, interesting to me. Like, Quinn Hughes didn't crest 60 points till his third year with the Canucks. He wowed us in year one, of course, with sure. 53 points in 68 games. But he wasn't able to get past the 60-point barrier until year three. And at that point, we thought, oh, my God, we have got that transcendent defenseman that maybe the Canucks have never had before. Well, he's halfway to a 60-point season already. It's November the 22nd. Like, if you've got a 60-point defenseman on your team, you've yes. got an electric offensive defenseman. Like, how do you even describe what this pace is? Yes. Well, 130. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you believe you can get there. I mean, but th- there is now a, mo- a, a very realistic possibility of a 90-point year. Yes. For Quinn Hughes, uh, you know, accepting that there will be regression at some point. Well, what about 100? We're going to say yeah. 90. Let's do 100. Yeah. Very possible too. I mean that that would be still accepting regression, a significant amount of it, and he could still be on pace for a hundred points quite easily. Mm-hmm. So, how um, incidentally, Quinn finished one spot ahead of his brother Jack, and eleven spots ahead of his brother Luke, who also made the top fifty under twenty four or twenty four and under players, as compiled by Steve Dryden and Craig J. Button of. TSN. How far are we away from reports on what did Quinn Hughes have for breakfast? In terms of media coverage? Yeah. No, we're not going to get there. That's a Toronto Sports Network yeah. thing. Yeah, wrong color you, combinations. You, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't think at some point someone's going to go deep dive into Quinn Hughes' genius and, 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 and ask about his diet? No. Well, no, but to your point, Matt, remember all the discussion about Mark Shifley and Nathan McKinnon's diet from a few years ago right. about Chick-pea how they would pasta. Like challenge their teammates not to eat any junk. Exactly. Chickpea pasta. It. That I wasn't so it. much a daily report no. like they do in Toronto. That was more of a, hey, this is an interesting sidebar versus yeah. where where's Austin right now? Leaf eats apple! Yeah. Exclamation point. Here's something else that struck me about this TSN list. And perhaps it's because that Price is Right is still ringing in my ears about how few Canadians there were at the top of the NHL scoring race Mm -hmm. um, earlier in the season. And really, it's still there. Kale McCarr's the highest-scoring Canadian right now, Blake. 27 points. Everybody above him is uh, international, if you will. Sam Reinhardt, West Vancouver Sam Reinhardt is 25 points. He's the second leading scorer amongst Canadians. Braden Point, third. Well, twenty. The other thing I was going to point out about that that list from TSN. Um, find the goalies first of all. Not many goalies on this list. Find the Canadian goalies. Devin Levi is the only one there at. I the, was at the ripe old age of twenty one. So like that's a that's a big leap now. If you're looking for goaltender of the future for these best on best that are coming around the corner here. Yeah. Whew. But. Here's the breakdown of the list by nationality. 20 Americans, 15 Canadians. On this list? Yeah. 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 Six Russians, five Swedes, two Germans, and a Czech. Two Germans. Well, Stutzla and Cider. In fact, two Germans in the top six. Yeah. On Germany. Yeah. Smells like a Hockey Canada summit to me. 
Although maybe they've had too many of those recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Different, different tenor. Off ice, yes. yeah. Off ice crises. Absolutely. I heard it. I remember listening to Woodley uh, a year ago and he talked about in Europe, goaltenders start with like their, you know, SHL or Switzerland, like junior teams. And it basically gets them into the system with the same goalie coach and, you know, look at and same thing in Russia too, like the MHL and VHL affiliations. Look at the quality of European goalies and Russian goalies. You don't really get that development in Canada. You have multiple goalie coaches. You have a junior goalie coach. You have a summer goalie coach. It's uh, it's concerning. Yeah, maybe maybe that's part of it. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I just don't. I don't know that we cultivate them the same way. That's that's all. Since we're talking goalies and goalie coaches, Grady, I know you wanted to say a word or two about your old goalie coach, Sean Murray. Yeah, um, I'm sure a lot of people saw the news. Sean uh, tragically passed away last week, and November 29th, there'll be a celebration of life from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Burnaby Winter Club, and that's where Sean used to train me back when uh, I was a half-decent netminder, so... You can make it out. I know there's a lot of people probably listening right now who would have known Sean or perhaps had their sons trained by them or maybe even them themselves. But, um, yeah, he was WHL, the Vancouver Giants goalie coach when they won the Mem Cup back in the mid-2000s and uh, had a huge influence on the local goaltending community here in the Lower Mainland. Well said. Did you see this headline coming out of Monday's game? The Invictus Games. They say nearly 100 people signed up to volunteer after seeing Prince Harry at the game. Really? Yeah. Wow. See, uh, they've, they've actually been making some waves. They uh, let go a bunch of local executives that are in charge of putting on the Invictus games. Oh, really? Yeah. So a little bit of local turmoil. We uh, met a bunch of them here uh, recently, a few months ago. They toured through the Wall Center, the Go-Gut Sports Studio. Okay, I know you want to get to this. Just when you think the Canadian men's national team is, you know, about to turn that corner, get past some of the negativity that has swirled around the program, take that next step, which of course did not come at the World Cup Qatar. Uh, Beat Jamaica in Jamaica after a rain delay pushes the game back a day. And almost four decades without winning... Exactly. And you're thinking, oh, they're coming home on a chilly night at BMO Field in Toronto. The Jamaicans won't be up to the task. They'll win this. They'll move straight into the Copa America. And they lose. The disaster. Unmitigated disaster. And in a lot of ways, um, the chilling out factor and still played out. Like, Canada, the judges' cards, was by far the better team. I mean, possession. Got a lead. Davey scored, right? Possession wildly in favor of Canada, but critical mistakes. And then it left to – there was a bunch of 50-50 calls. All of them went against the Canadians. And I won't say that any of them were terrible calls. Like They were legit 50-50 calls, I think. And the ref went one direction on, on all of them. And – you know, it's the Wally Wong rule. Don't put yourself in a position where one of those 50-50 calls is going to cost you. And that's what happened. And they didn't bury their chances early. Should have been 3 nothing at the half. It should have been 4 or 5 nothing at one point. Instead, it wasn't. And Jamaica comes back and on a PK, wins it on aggregate over Canada. And with that, they're off to the Copa 
Canada has to go through a backdoor game, which looks favorable. They have to defeat Trinidad and Tobago in March, but it's an embarrassing sequence of events. Remember, lost all three games at the World Cup, lost 2 nothing in the Nations League final. To USA. To the USA. Got destroyed in Japan. Went to the Gold Cup with a lesser team, their you know a minus team and played a, a a peppy game but lost on pk's to the united states herdman steps down they lose this one after the japanese friendly goes terribly for them i mean the only thing you can really stand up and say hey that was pretty good was the win in jamaica yep well that's what i mean i thought okay turning point getting back to and the Gold Cup one actually wasn't that embarrassing because it wasn't the team. It was a lot of the newcomers, Ali Ahmed, and all those guys played in that tournament. Yeah. So it was a sprightly performance. How but, did uh, how did our Whitecaps look last night? Richie Larray was very good. Richie Larray was very good. Um, old Whitecap, Derek Cornelius, looked good at times, but ultimately the back line had some foibles. There's some buzz about him coming back to the Cavs. Uh, no, it's just connecting of dots. Okay. It's not really any... Right particularly attributed uh, So Ahmed and Hoylet didn't get a chance, or you didn't? Uh, Hoylet did play, um, but, uh, you know, only so much they could do late. Yep. Um, it's, How did Alfonso look? Brilliant as usual? Uh, he was very into it. He was doing a lot, at times too much. He was. He was, it looked more engaged than the, Jap- than the Jamaican affair, um, and certainly the Japanese affair. He was fine. He scored the goal, opening goal. But um, at times it looked like he was trying to do too much. And I don't know that Canada's figured out where to play Still. Alfonso Davies. So, of course, they have an interim coach here in Moro Biello. And I've heard of two scenarios. One, that the you just need a damn coach. And second, well, there's no general secretary, and so hire this in the appropriate way where the general secretary gets hired first and then has to say on who you're going to hire as coach. Where are you on this? Um, I would have liked to have seen a head coach put into position. I understand that they like were going on three months now or so since yeah. uh, Herb- yeah. Herdman left Certainly. for TFC. And, you know, the general secretary spot is not yet fill- filled, but the position at the top is filled. Charmaine. I mean... I don't know that the general secretary needs to be the person making the decision on a head coach. And you wonder, like, not playing in the Copa. But the general secretary has more sporting expertise, no? Like, you hire a president to be more of a business administrator with hopefully a a background or or knowledge of the sport. And then you hire your sporting director, your technical folks bill yeah but uh, really the, the in the national team parlance the head coach is the sporting director to a degree the head yeah. coach makes all those dis- the sporting decisions so it's still a it's right in the word it's still a secretarial sort of job you're appointing the guy that's making all the on-field decisions yeah so um i i think that could have been done and and for for the perspective here folks the nation's like it's a it's you know, you want to go farther in that tournament, so it's a shame they're knocked out of that tournament right now. But most importantly, they want to play in the Copa. The Copa is the second best tournament that Canada is eligible to play in. Yes, after the World Cup, because you get to play all those South American sides. 
no other tournament afford the, the Gold Cup's not going to allow you to play Argentina, Brazil, or Colombia. Mm-hmm. This does. You have to play in this tournament. So that's the huge failure. Can they still come in the back door? They can. But why are you leaving that to chance? And weren't we beyond this yeah. as a program? Yeah. You would have thought you were. Speaking of those South American giants, a um, jarring scene last night at the Maracanã where Brazilian police, during the anthem, charge at Argentine fans behind the goal. Chaos ensues. Argentinian players walk off the pitch. Eventually, the game is resumed, and Argentina wins in Brazil 1-0. First time Brazil's ever lost a World Cup qualifier at home, which is crazy. No, no, well. It's a few years. quite a program. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Lionel Messi accused Uh, the Brazilian police of brutality. Well, I I was just going to say, like, you have the sports goat on the pitch having to leave because of violence in the stands. Like that is quite a juxtaposition. This sport, man. Yeah. <laughs> there are things that happen in global soccer. And uh, then there was the controversy of the Mexican game. And I know this is going to sound like ignorant North American sports, and I don't, I don't care. Soccer's clock, the way they administer game timing, leads itself to all this sort of nonsense that we saw last night. To to all those that question, you know, refing. I mean, this is a got to be a hard clock. Like, so what happened was Honduras, after beating Mexico. So here's here's the one thing to allow Canadian soccer fans to sleep at night: Trinidad and Tobago, and all these were two-legged games. Remember, aggregate games. But in a single game, Trinidad beat the U.S. in this window. Honduras beat Mexico in this window. So all the three top teams in CONCACAF lost games this in this window. Um, so Mexico needed a big result at home to tie Honduras or, or, or beat them. They're down 2-1 in the aggregate, going into stoppage time, in which those that watched the game were aghast that 10 minutes were put on the board for stoppage time. And don't you know it, Matt, but in the 10th of those 10 minutes... Mexico equalizes to force it to PK. Jiminy Crickets, you're telling me in the final minute of a bloated stoppage time. They go to penalty kicks. We're not done yet, Matt. In penalty kicks, the Honduran keeper, in a a bid to stay alive in PKs, because they're down a goal in PKs, makes a stop. Oh, whistle blows. Keeper came off early. Retake. Roll of eyes. Mexican shooter gets set. Takes the shot, saved again. Wow, tight. Nope. Keeper left early That's again. Ridiculous. Retake. Mexican shooter scores the winning goal. I mean, it, do, we, do we need to call our friend Declan Hill, the Canadian journalist, academic, and world's foremost expert on soccer match fixing? I mean, it, it may be a case of that. It may be a case of we need L Tree to be L Tree. We need L Tree to get into the Copa. We need, like, they're hosting games in the Copa. Yeah, or, or they're they're sorry. Southern the, United States the, the are hosting blink. it. Like, the, help me out on the clock as well. How is it you'll get the final whistle like after a goal kick with the ball in the air? Does it not stand to reason that the final whistle should come 
at some sort of stoppage where the ball goes out of play or you have a keeper who makes a save and that's that. I, I, I just, I hate the clock. I hate the time wasting. I hate the imprecision of it. But I don't understand why the referee can't have a secondary uh, clock in his hand that is live no, and publicly don't available. don't even give it to the referee. Give it to the third official, the, and that's a hard whistle. Right, right. And and so every time there's a, pr- a player down, that official hit, stops his hits clock. the button, hits the or hits the button to run the time, so you know how much st- stoppage time. Fair to enough. Add, whatever, whatever you, you want to count do. up. Talking about lap here. Yeah, exactly. Count up, and then when the guy's up to his feet, you hit turn. Uh, and enough. then you've got a you've got uh, a bracket honestly. for all to see. Oh, there's going to be six forty two in stoppage time. It is time. not as hard as the beautiful game makes it, and frankly, it is far from beautiful. And again, we're ranting about a non-Canadian game because it just matters for the sport. Well, it's just because it's injustice, yeah. <laughs> and it's injustice that you see throughout soccer, both international and domestic. Because of the way they run the damn clock. It's ridiculous. It's antiquated. It really is. Like, you know, we, we, we live in a world of micro-targeting, data analysis. You can do better on the clock, FIFA. Well, and FIFA at the World Cup even said, we're going to be hard line on this. We're going to yeah, actually. Exactly. Yeah, well, but make it public. So then do it. But make it public. Don't have it a secret. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. Greta, a great spot to catch the games throughout the season, the playoffs, place to chill. In the offseason, Frank Corrado stops by. I'm going to talk to him about, well, Hughes and McCarr, about Hart and Art Ross trophies for defensemen. We asked him about Sidney Crosby, his ex-teammate, that, you know, when there was a marquee opponent across the way, an individual who, you know, was in his league for games in Canada, maybe mattered a little bit more. When the greats really turn it up. We talked to him about Ethan Bear and whether that signing would help the Canucks, as well as Hunter Brstevich, the Canucks prospect, who if you reheld June's draft today, not even five months later, would probably go a lot higher than the third round. You'd huh? think. You'd think. He has more assists than anyone else has points in the OHL. Defenseman. Yeah. Defenseman. So he's tracking beautifully. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Why aren't the stanchion on today's show in our ongoing collaboration with Canucks Army? And, uh, well, you know, it's Wyatt. So the conversation goes in a lot of ways. The stanchies, Tyler Myers, Nils Hoglander, PDG. You might want to check this particular segment out on YouTube, too, because there's visuals. That well, go along uh, with it, there's course. always visuals with yeah. Wyatt. Get into some regal talk with him. And, of course, some wrestling. Have to. Mandated. Must. Some breaks from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Mitsubishi has the most fun you could possibly imagine all wrapped up into a vehicle. It's the Outlander. It's the one I've been driving. Gas Outlanders with rates from 4.99%, and they got lots of them. Go take one for a test drive. Drive away in your brand new Mitsubishi from Applewood Mitsubishi in the Richmond Auto Mall. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. We're asking you, would you lay money that a Canuck wins the Art Ross Trophy? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Joined now by TSN hockey analyst, former Vancouver Canuck, Mr. Frank Corrado. 
How are we doing? I'm great, guys. I can't tell you how nice it is to come on your show and talk about the Vancouver Canucks being a good team, players near the top of the stats page. We got defensemen in the running for not only the Norris, but the Art Ross and the Hart. Like, what a difference. What a difference a year makes. Like, I can't wait to talk to you guys every week now. Wow. We're, we're bored by it, actually. It's uh, It's gone on for <laughs> weeks now. Sick of winning. Yeah. Tired of winning. No. Uh, first of all, we know you love your defensemen, and we're going to get to some of them here in this conversation but secondly Corrado I mean you've just been one year with us like six months of misery like Blake and I it's been like a decade honestly trapped in this hole exactly we felt like we were in Groundhog Day doing the same show over and over for six seven years you know it's funny I never listened to talk radio in Vancouver because I never owned a vehicle when I played for the Canucks I would always just walk to the rink and I was never really there long enough to justify purchasing a car um, so I would only hear like the snippets that people would tweet out, you know, during those times. And you just, you happen to see them as much as you're not looking for them. But every once in a while, I like, get in a car with my buddy Slav, as you guys know, and, um, you know, he'd have on, on the radio station and, and hear what you guys are saying. It was always a treat. It was always a treat <laughs> to get those little snippets every once in a while. Hey, we were very kind I'm to prospect Frank. Oh, I know. Uh, I know. I'm not saying it's just, you know what I mean? When you don't, you don't hear it and then you see it and then you finally hear it. You're like, oh, there they are. There's, there's my guys. <laughs> so um, yesterday, look, Colorado and Vancouver tonight, McCarr versus Hughes. Yesterday we did a poll question on can Hughes surpass McCarr is the best defenseman in the game. I'd like your take there, but also a little compare and contrast here, Frankie. They're two exceptional defensemen. Um, you know, what does McCarr do differently than than Hughes to get to that level? Oof. Okay, so first of all, both incredible. Or what doesn't he do, perhaps? I know. Is a better question. I know. For me, for me, Kale McCarr would have to really fall off a cliff for Quinn Hughes to be able to overtake him as as the king daddy in the NHL as far as defenseman goes. Like when I watch Kale McCarr, I see a guy that is so powerful and so strong. He like similar to McKinnon in the way he skates, where he just powers through on the ice. Hughes has got that like light footed gracefulness to his step. And so I think that's where they're, they're a little bit different. McCarr is a little more overpowering. Hughes is a little more that like evasive kind of finesse, like float, like a butterfly kind of player. But McCarr's like McCarr's playing great, and and I think right now because Hughes is playing in a, in a Canadian market and it's getting a lot of play, and of course he's atop the NHL in a lot of categories as far as D-man goes. Like it's it's really impressive. McCarr is right there though, and I, I feel like not a lot of people are are, are talking about it. The thing that's ultimately going to separate both those guys when we have the head-to-head comparison is that McCarr has won a Stanley Cup, and Quinn Hughes like has a long way to go with his team in order to get to that point. So there's that at play as well. I mean, playoff success. And as we know, Kale McCarr was a monster when, when they went and won the Stanley cup, um, that's going to, that's going to go a long way when it comes to comparing these two guys, whether it's right or wrong, but that's the way we look at a lot of players. And Kale McCarr has been a beast for a long time. Quinn Hughes, like he's been a great player. He's really coming into his own this year. I want like a lot of people are wondering, is he going to come back down to earth? Like, what if he's what if this is what he is? Like, what if he's just like a top three defenseman in the NHL and he's worked his way up to this point? And that's fine. But like, if, if you're asking me, like, who am I taking tomorrow? If I'm picking a team, I'm still taking Kale McCarr. 
But if I'm picking second overall, I'm pretty damn happy I got Quinn Hughes. He used to make great plays in games. He's never controlled games, which is what he's doing this year. That's the big difference. Well, and the 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 threat of the shot and Hughes's yeah. goal score that he's already tied the career high of eight goals, Frankie. Yeah. Well, and like it's an emphasis on shooting more. You can see, like, you know, I, I'll I'll scroll through his video clips just to see what he's doing. I'm like. Oh, there's a shot that I didn't expect him to take. It's like outside the dots, but he's got a one-timer. And I think he's doing a really good job of understanding when to kind of push himself into the middle of the ice and make a fake and get himself into a prime scoring position. But he's also recognizing when it's like you got to pull the trigger really quickly and get it off your stick because you might have two guys at net front that can battle for something or you might have a high tip option, which he finds a lot. So, and I think... You know, if you go into a summer as a player with one thing to focus on and you can really hammer away at that one thing, you can come back into the season and show that you've improved in that. You you go into a summer as a player and you're like, yeah, I got like three things I really need to work on here. There's like, you know, there's a certain movement I need to work on as far as skating goes. There's a little thought process I need to have as far as how I process the game that I need to kind of work on and get better at and the shot. It's like it's hard to really fo focus on three things and see the improvement year after year. But you take one thing like for me, Quinn Hughes, like the shot was was a big deal for him. And now he's he's got a lot more confidence taking the one timer on the power play. And that's opening up space for him because now people have to respect the shot at five on five, respect it on the power play. And if you want to overplay him which will happen from time to time, he just spins off you. Like he just kind of like, he'll, he'll throw a little head fake, he'll spin off you, and then he gets himself in a good position. So his recognition of when to kind of pull the trigger quickly and when to add a little bit of that flair that, that he has and, and can do so well has been really impressive this year. Leads the team in shots on goal. It, it, to me, it's made all the more impressive this season too because of the contemporaries that he has to go up against in, in terms of comparison, like a Kale McCarr. Um, and it's underscored in this TSN uh, top uh, 50 players under the age of, of 25 and 24. Well, uh, Quinn is 24 and he's on the list. So, uh, okay. yeah, confusing. But yeah, anyhow. 24 uh, and under. Let's 24, 24 and under. And under. Yeah. Um, I mean, on this <laughs> list, Thanks, Frank. Quinn Hughes at two, Rasmus Dahlin at five, Cider at six, Sanderson at seven, Owen Power at nine. Dobson at 11, Luke Hughes at 13. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. With all due respect to guys like Hedman and Yossi, who remain in the league and pretty darn effective, the top defensemen in the league are all under the age of 25. Yeah, it, listen, it's like a it's like a golden era for defensemen right now. And I kind of think back to when I came into the league or, or was coming up, you could see this wave of guys that were kind of going to follow in the footsteps of Drew Doughty and Alex Petrangelo. Like you could see that the game was headed that way, but there was still, we were still kind of being coached a little bit on the conservative side of things where it was like, get the puck out of the D man's hands and just get it up to the forwards. Like there was still a lot of emphasis on that. Like you'd hear the, the, the term push the pace a lot and push the pace meant like, we're not coming back. Like everything's got to go north, north, north. And I think now with the way guys, um, you know, with the way young defensemen are, are coming up, it's almost like teams are okay with these guys hanging on to the puck a little bit longer because they know they're very sure of what they can do with it. And you're seeing a lot of like attack and five man units and hit the speed underneath when your forwards really push up the ice. Like it's opening up these pockets of ice 
And the modern day defenseman who skates really well, who can handle the puck really well, who wants to get involved in the play in the offensive zone. These kinds of guys are having a field day and like the game was headed in, in this direction and it's taken a little while, but we finally got here. The, the thing that's really going to cement it is when a blue line wins the Stanley cup with a number of guys like this. And, right. and we don't really have the talk about the big bulky, like burly defenseman, which I think is still prominent when it comes playoff time. And I think the, the Vegas golden Knights are a great example of why that was so effective for them. So there still is that there's still a lot of value in that. But if your team has one of these guys, like all those guys you just mentioned, if your team has one of those guys, um, you're, you're pretty happy with, with your blue line and your number one guy, as far as Quinn Hughes on that list, like there's a lot of guys that have some name value there. Like I think of Darlene. Um, did you say Haskinen or is he a little older? He he's might older. not be on yeah, that. He's, 20, yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's too old, but I kind of put him in that in that category of guys sure. as well. And and it's like Hughes, if you were to if you watch Quinn Hughes play and you watch those guys play, like he's not only right there with them, he's better than some of them. Like he's he's crisp, he's efficient, he's so clean, and his defensive game um has come a long way and he you know i think it's pretty simple for him he skates well enough that he doesn't really let guys get on the wrong side of him as much as he maybe did in the past and that's part of like the maturity process as a player but man he's he's been really really impressive this year before we move on here one thing i am seeing from from quinn hughes is that just by virtue of his ice time and how much the stick the puck is on his stick he is going to make louder mistakes. Like would you, you just are when you play 28 minutes a game and you yeah. have the puck on your stick, you're going to make some mistakes. They often trust him to be the last guy up lugging the puck, um, you know, and he's going to overhandle it at times. How do you think coaches and fans will react to that? Because he's going to be great until he's not. Yeah. And every once in a while, he's going to make a loud mistake. Listen, if it's every once in a while, it's not a big deal. And that's, you know, that's the reality of being a puck moving defenseman and having the puck on your stick that much. Like when you make a mistake, it, it has the opportunity to be magnified. But I'm not worried about that because if he goes out there and he makes 10 great plays in a row and then there's one that's like, oh, that resulted in a shot on net and your goalie bailed you out. And there's one every other game that might result in a, in a goal against. You got to take the good with the bad, man. You can't like you can't nitpick that kind of stuff. And say, hey, we, we really want you. And this is this is a cliche. And I don't know if anyone says this to Quinn Hughes. And I don't know if he puts himself in this position. But like, hey, we really want you to simplify your game. Like, what are you going to tell Quinn Hughes to simplify? Please, right? The guys, please, no. The guys, no. Like, the guy's one of the most dynamic players in the game, and you're seeing the results. So you you yeah. can live with you know you can live with the as long as the attention to detail is there and the effort is there. I'll give you an example. And like, I hate to carve the kid, but like that Evan Bouchard in Edmonton, oh he's great offensively, but he he almost doesn't do himself many favors because he makes it look so like lackadaisical defensively. And it's easy to get on a guy like that. And I think like, I know he's going through the injury trouble here now in Toronto, like John Klingberg has that same kind of optic look where it's like, it's too casual defensively. So I, I know the injury now, so we got to give him a little bit of, of leeway there. Like I think about my old teammate, Jake Gardner, where he was a guy who had the puck on his stick a lot and he really tried to make plays. And a lot of the times he made a lot of great plays, but if it looked casual when it went awry and coming back to the net, that's when people will, will kind of say like, eh, it doesn't, you're, 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 you're messing up too much. Like you have, you got to keep it simple. And it's like, 
okay, if Quinn, Quinn Hughes doesn't have that casual look to his game, everything he does, it looks like he's, he's very engaged and very focused on it. So I think you just got to learn to take the, the good with the bad. And when I say bad, like from what I've seen this year, there's not, there, there's next Pretty to nothing frequent. bad about it. It's yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not something that happens on a semi-regular basis. No defenseman has won the heart since Chris Pronger in 2000. Only one defenseman has won the Art Ross, Bobby Orr, going back to 75. Is it possible? I suppose anything is possible, but I would say rather unlikely at this point, especially when it comes to the Art Ross. There's just too many. Like when I was doing my my top 50 list this year, I went heavier on forwards because I just thought there were so many guys that could challenge for you know, 90, a hundred points. And I felt like the list, like I was, I was making my list and I'm like, man, that's another guy that could have 95 points. That's a, that's a guy that can have a hundred points. So I, I, I do believe at some point he's going to have to cool off. It's just, you know, and then there's always like, Hey, tweak the groin or, you know, like not that we want that kind of stuff to happen, but those are, those are the realities of, of life in the NHL. Um, as far as the heart goes, that's a more, that's a more compelling one for me. Because if he were to keep himself near the top of the scoring race, and obviously he would have to be the highest scoring defenseman in the league, which Kale McCarr is going to give him a good run for his money there. And the Vancouver Canucks finish, I don't know, like second in the Pacific. I don't like that's a pretty compelling case for me. And, and if he's the one leading the charge in, in that respect, I would say that one is more attainable than the art Ross. I don't know. Let me know what you think, but I feel like yeah, there's, there's the you. team aspect. Like there's, there's the driving of the team aspect right. narrative that you can really get behind on. It's, that subjective yeah, it's, too. it's such a narrow isolated lane. The yeah. art Ross, yeah. whereas you're quite right. Uh, the heart trophy has a little more texture, has a little more narrative to it. And I do think it's more likely you'll see a defenseman win the heart than win an art Ross. I mean, history has proven that as well. Hey, let me ask you this. When you speaking about Hughes versus McCarr tonight, when you played with Sid, did he get, you know, some extra grit between his teeth when it was Ovi on the other side, or it was young Connor McDavid, or it was his fellow Haligonian Nathan McKinnon? Like when there was a superstar on the other side of the ice, did Sidney bear down a little a little more than your typical yes. NHL game? He was always like very focused before the game and he's such a superstitious guy. But I do like, I remember we played a game in Edmonton in the new building there. I don't know if it was a a hockey night in Canada game, but regardless, it's Crosby versus McDavid. It's in Edmonton. It's a big deal. You could tell there was a little something there where he, he, he wanted to come out on top in that game. And I believe we won that game in overtime. I can't remember. He might've had, he might've factored in on that. Um, But regardless, when there's like when 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 he played against Canadian market teams and the spotlight was on, you could see there was a little extra motivation for him there. And he always like one thing I'll say about Sid, he goes about everything in the right way. He was he was the most impressive hockey player that that I ever got to see, like up close and personal like that, whether it was practices, games. So like him kind of dialing in a little bit more. I think the guys around the room really noticed that. And there was almost like a little bit of like, this is an important game for our team, just like every game is. 
but it's also an important game for Sid. So, and I feel like a lot of guys really like carried that with them. I never, I, I don't think I ever played a game with Pittsburgh versus the Capitals. I would have been like a, I would have been a round or, or a healthy scratch for, for a few of those games at least, but playing Edmonton, you could definitely see that that was, that was something on his radar. Well, and also, you know, he, he was uh, uh, quite honest as a young player as a teenager that his favorite team was Montreal growing up and boy every time he went to the Bell Center remember that backhand in the water bottle going up to oh, the rafters you yeah. could tell he wanted to put on the show uh in the cathedral of hockey Ethan Bear is skating getting ready for a return here uh, I'd like your evaluation in terms of how much he would help the Canucks right now particularly given the injury to Carson Soucy. Yeah, listen, it, it it would it'll be tough for him because he didn't get a training camp and he's obviously joining the team as things have progressed here. The biggest challenge he's going to face is that if you join a team at training camp, you're all going through the paces together. So everyone that was, you know, working on their conditioning and tightening things up, like you're all going through it together. Everyone's gone through that process and he's been rehabbing and the, the, the difficult part is that is of that is now you're just trying to get back to even par, essentially, while everyone's kind of like made gains here as the season has gone on. So there's that. Um, and like the way the league moves, the league just moves at a, at, a, at a rate where it's like, you know, things tighten up structurally. Like, look at the San Jose Sharks. They were terrible to start the season. And now they're kind of like, you know, they're a tougher. Just, just a bad team. Just a bad team. They're just, yes. they're just a bad team. But at least you can see like there's a, they're a little more on the, on, on the same page. So there's, yeah. there's that example as well. Um, but there is something to be said for a guy like, you know, rejuvenated fresh start here, although it's like his old team, but he still would have like a fresh start with the new season and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, maybe he doesn't have the wear and tear of, of, you know, the rigors of an early part of the regular season. So there's something to be said there. Um, but as far as like how he could fit in on the blue line, if you could get Ethan bear playing to Ethan bears level pretty quickly, that would help the blue line. Um, yeah, I mean that in no disrespect to, to Noah, Noah Juleson, but he would be an upgrade over Noah Juleson and, and he would help the team. And it's, um, it's a guy that's, you know, eh, maybe a little more versatile. Um, you know, you could trust him in a few more situations. I've, I like, I've, I liked Ethan Bear's game when he was playing for the Canucks and, and like anything, when the team's not very good, certain players stick out and struggle in ways and maybe they're not used in, in the best way, but the way the blue line is structured now you could probably slide him into a situation where he, he's not playing on the top pair. He doesn't have to be relied upon that much. He can play, you know, 13, 14 minutes and have a pretty quiet night and say, yeah, he was good. You know, like he, he moved the puck pretty well. It never looked like he was really in danger and there was no big gaps in his game. So I think the, the situation could lend itself to somewhat of a, a softer landing um, if he were to join the team and, and start playing games. Conditioning students help three games in the eight. Does that help? I would like, yeah, I, I think a conditioning stint helps. It, it depends the purpose of it. I always had to do the stupidest conditioning stint when I was with the Leafs, where I'd be healthy scratched for like two months in a row. And Lou would come up to me and go, we're going to send you on a two-week conditioning stint to the Marlies. They got seven games in 14 days. We saw this on the calendar and we thought this was going to be the perfect uh, situation for you. I was like, oh, great. At the time, I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to play seven games in 14 days. This is awesome. Then I realized I'm playing seven games in 14 days, and I haven't played in two months. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why am I playing a three and three when I haven't played in two months? This is so dumb. 
I played like crap. And then the whole time I'm thinking, well, everyone's watching me because I haven't played in two months. The video's going back to whoever within the organization. They're like, all eyes are on me. I'm trying not to make a mistake. It was like, it was the dumbest thing ever. But for, for him, the purpose of a conditioning stint would actually be conditioning, right. not to just like get someone game so you don't have to put them on waivers. So in, in his situation, it wouldn't be a, a magnifying glass where everyone's watching him. It wouldn't be trying to maximize seven games in 14 days because, um, you know, that's that's the maximum you can possibly get out of the situation. It would be like play a game, maybe have a day off then wait a little bit and then play a game. Like, I don't know. I just, it, it would even, even just put him on, put him on like an, a PTO for a bit just to see how, how he does. And then if you like what you see, you can always sign him to an NHL deal. I was going to uh, tell you to tell Mr. Dryden and Mr. Button, they forgot our boy Macklin Celebrini in their top 50 under 24. And then I read right at the end, NHL affiliated only. Yes. So we will look for yeah, Nor- we will look for Vancouver to go one and two on that list next true. year. Yeah. With Bedard and Celebrini. Uh if not uh, a Canuck as well. Quick Hunter Brustevich scouting report. You, you saw him last oh. year. He's ripping it up right now. Okay, so this is funny. So we're getting ready for the top prospects game, and I make a few phone calls and obviously have some friends in Kitchener still. I said, Tell me about this guy. Yeah, you know what? He's uh you know, he's, he's pretty good. He doesn't do anything great, but he's just like a pretty good all-around player. Like, that was the scouting report and I got. I was like, all right, maybe at some point in his career, he's really going to have to, like, hone in on one thing that's really going to make him great. I don't know. I think he's figured it out, if you ask me, because the guy's on fire in the OHL, and his progression is probably further along than people thought uh, from watching him last year. So credit to him, because he's having a big year in the OHL and he's probably not just that guy that's like, yeah, he does everything pretty good. Okay. He's, yeah. yeah, he's yeah. he's much better than that. So good for him. And I think we'll see him at the World Juniors uh, for mm-hmm. Team USA, mm-hmm. given the way things are going. Frankie, marvelous stuff. Thank you for this. We'll catch up next week. All right, guys. Thanks. We'll talk. Here's some price from Wall Center presentation, Apple and Auto Group. Hashtags are the best and worst of Twitter.com. I'm going to start us off with Mark Lazarus in Chicago from The Athletic. Matthews and the Leafs, Bedard and the Hawks, a day game on Black Friday. Not on national television. What are we doing here, folks? It's like they've just started running this league. Like, it hasn't been around for 130 years. Like, WTF. Like, what? I I realize the Leafs, or at least the Toronto market, doesn't rate in the United States. But Austin Matthews is one of the big stars of this league and an American. Yeah. I think it would, I think it would resonate. And he's part Latino as well. Like, they just, they do not know how to market stars. Yeah. It is plainly evident and has been for years. There are very few hockey players who have represented gate draws over the course of history. And frankly, the biggest ones are decades ago. Wayne Gretzky. The the NBA leans into LeBron so heavily. Oh my God, everything. Like, everything LeBron. Like, for example, I'm... I'm I'm watching the uh, ESPN NBA show yesterday, 
and they're talking about the in-season tournament that's ongoing. And I believe it was Ramona Shelburne said, this tournament was basically sanctified by LeBron James because the Lakers got a win in it, and he got asked a question about, you know, getting a win in the context of the regular season, and he went, no, 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 we're excited about getting our first win in the NBA Cup. Yeah. You know, just the deference to the superstars and how they perceive the league, not to mention just, you know, listening to what's important to players and fans, which the NHL does He's 38 do. years old, though, and they lean into him still as if he's in his prime and will be around for another no, 10 years. And the NHL is just like, nope, not there's no tall poppies. Everyone's the same. Yeah, We'll get around to you eventually. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's exhausting, actually. Like, with all due respect, the Canucks-Islanders was a national TNT game, which, okay, this one's on a silver platter, guys. Yeah. Ridiculous. Speaking of the NBA, at SN Stats, Sports and Stats, Pacers and Hawks combined for 309 points tonight, last night. The 12th regulation game in NBA history to combine for 300 points. Just the 12th. Wow. Like, uh, uh, 309 points. 157-152, by the way, close game, too. Um, I I couldn't help it. Like, I just remembered I had this this recall, so I went and looked it up. And I, I tweeted out an example of it. Like, I remember there was a Miami Heat team that struggled to average for the season 80 points. Right. Pat Riley defensively oriented. It was like 79-9 on the season. And in, in the end, the one I found was uh, the entire division was averaging in the 80s, both for and against. Oh, there were some ugly – some of those Miami-New York playoff games of yesteryear was, you know, first one 85 wins. The top four teams in the Eastern Conference that I found this random moment in time in the Atlantic division. Heat, Magic, Sixers, and Knicks all leading the top four teams in the division. None of them crested 90 points for or against during the season. Oh, my goodness. Of course, you could absolutely mug guys going into the lane. And now we're getting 300 points. Yeah. At the score, Finland stuns defending champion Canada to reach the Davis Cup semifinals. So our run as the reigning world champions in both men's and ladies team tennis lasts only a couple of weeks here after the ladies win the Billie Jean and it's too bad because Milos got things started so well. Milos got a win in singles. Diallo lost the second singles match. There was no Felix or Chapo here. And then uh, Alexei Gallinaro and Vashik Pospisil, Vancouver slash Marins, Vashik Pospisil, lost 7-5-6-3 in the doubles. Finland was ranked 14. Canada was number one by virtue of last year's Davis Cup championship. And this is in Spain. And then... Vashik was complaining about the balls. Yeah, the balls are too heavy. And uh, he's pointing out all the wrist and elbow injuries around the tour. And, and I'm sorry, we don't have a standard weight of a tennis ball? Apparently they changed it. And what? apparently they promised to change it back or something. And he was this like... the scoring instrument. Yeah. Because he, he said... what You they, need consistency and precision there. He said what the, the intention was, was to increase rallies. But his point is, is you made it too heavy. A, it's causing injury, and now he's like, we don't need sixty shots on every point. Like, do you want rallies? Yes, but you know, we don't need it su- such a heavy ball that you're going to get rallies on every point. Aces are fun too. At PGA Tour, a huge FedEx Cup fall for Mackenzie Hughes. With his strong play, Mac Hughes has secured starts in next year's AT and T Pro Am and the Genesis Invitational. 
to signature events in the new PGA Tour. So there is still some sense to the silly tour, silly season on tour, and uh, he was second at the RSM this past week, and it gains him entry into a couple of big money exclusive events for next season, so congrats to the Canadian. Lastly for me, at MLB on Fox, the 2024 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot has been released. Amongst the first-year eligible guys, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Chase Utley, Jose Bautista, who is not going to get there because he was such a, a late bloomer. Like yeah. His 30s were Hall of Fame, but alas, uh, he didn't do enough in his 20s to get there. I do think Adrian Beltre is going to get I think Beltre is going to get in. Um, I, I, I think Beltre is Maurer's good. close, too, I think. Well, but... Maurer certainly, uh, Maurer hit 365 yeah. one year, which is just yeah. extraordinary. One of the best pure-hitting catchers, at least. But herein lies the problem with Maurer's candidacy. He spent his last five or six seasons effectively as a first-base right. DH. Yeah. Yeah. So do his numbers stack up against the Hall of Fame catchers? Yes. But with a third of the career spent at a different position, how much credit or how many you know demerits is he going to get with the voters? But here? is he the last of the average, like uh, in a batting average hitters? Like wh- who's the last oh, pure gosh. batting average oh, hitter? Gosh. I mean, he's right there. Like he would be amongst the lo- the last of them, right? Here's why I think Beltre's going to get in. First of all, thirty one hundred and sixty six hits, so he crested the magic three thousand hits. Yeah. 477 home runs, so he's just shy of the, the magic, magic number there. Yeah. 500 home runs. He was a 286 career hitter at 819 career OPS. Uh, five gold gloves, I believe, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times he got into the top 15 of MVP voting. Boy, he's right there. He, I mean, he is knocking on the door. Both of those guys are right knocking on the door. Led the league in home runs one year in L.A., led the league home run in hits one year in Texas, and, of course, uh, had a run with the Seattle Mariners, although it was probably the worst three-year span of his career. Of course, that was back in... What age, what age did he that play? That was back to? in the uh, Safeco. It was a hitter's nightmare right. era. They moved the fences in. As a young player in L.A., he was sort of similar to what he was in. in but did he play until like 39 or something crazy? Uh, he played until 2018. But what, what, what age was he? Uh, 2018 would have made him born 79, so 39. Yeah, yeah. I thought I felt like he played really late. Final I one. saw him hit a home. I, I did a Blue Jays Mariners series. First of all, a 5'11", 220, and like just a Brahma bull, like in, incredibly strong. Not chunky, though, just no, a pillar. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, a naturally powerful, yeah. powerfully built guy. Mm. I did a Blue Jays Mariners game once where he hit a home run to the opposite field on effectively a check swing on a pitch high in the zone that fooled him. And the Blue Jays pitching staff in the clubhouse afterwards were talking about they have never seen that in their lives. They mm. could not believe that Beltre had enough muscle on a check swing, effectively, half swing, to power a ball out the opposite way. But that's who he was. I mean, you got the guy... feeling his wrists are the same width as his thighs. Like, it's just like, <laughs> just thick all the way up. Um, at SI now to finish off, Washington 
has overtaken Florida State for the number four spot in this week's college football rankings. They are number four with just Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan ahead of them. And of um, course, Michigan and Ohio State, someone's going to lose this weekend. So We've made reference, and Oregon, by the way, at six. So the West Coast is uh, represented here. Um, like this is the best year in Pac-12 football. And they're in, disintegrating. And they're disintegrating right after. <laughs> and in fact, you know, like this Wazoo-Apple Cup uh, game is going to be the last chance for the Cougars to get over on the Huskies in a conference game. And uh, Florida State fell because they struggled a little bit with a weak opponent, and their poor quarterback got carted off the field. He is going to miss the rest of the season. And that can be one of the calculations that the committee uses. Goes, well, Florida State on record, on merit, you probably deserve to be there. But without your starting quarterback, do we think you could be as competitive in a semifinal as Washington? And I think the answer on that would be no so long as the Huskies take care of business here in their final two games. That's hashtags for today. We're joined now by true character here in the Vancouver market. And if you plug his name into Google, why aren't one of the hits that comes back is from a site called muckrack.com. Tags, Canada, sports. They have them in New York City. Oh. As seen in Canucks Army, The Athletic, Daily Hive, The Province, and Holistic Women's Health. Oh, I love his pieces in Holistic Wyatt Women's Art. Good so, to have you yeah. back on Sakaris and Price, bro. HWH. How you doing? Thanks, everyone. Yeah, and I do a lot of probiotics on the side, little side gigs that I got in there. So other than that, yeah, hockey and probiotics, that's my jam. You do a lot of probiotics. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it, like it's a narcotic. Yeah, I, yeah. I, do, a, I do a lot of the, the probies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know the name for it. That's true. It's the street name, the probies. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, next time we have you on, and of course, Wyatt with Canucks Army and our new association with the Nation Network, do you have theme music? Like, should Grady be playing you in with theme music? I've been waiting for my... For my Stone layout. Cold entrance. Uh, NWO music, Stone Shane Cold, O'Mac? anything. Here really? comes uh, the money! Oh, you know what? How about something not copyrighted? Okay, so I'll find something on Artlist. Artlist is my favorite place, and I have a subscription to them, so I'll get you something that's royalty-free. Okay, okay. <laughs> absolutely. I should have one I use on, uh, on my other uh, podcast, so I will have one for you guys. Okay, please. We'll lay down a VO. Absolutely. We'll get some pops. Something that sounds vaguely like Donovan's I'm a real American. Oh, it was Hulk's old uh, entrance scene. I'll, I'll, find Canadian. With, I'll find something with enough aplomb for the show. I'll yeah, get it. Aplomb, yeah. I like yeah. it. Oh, I'm I a writer. Like it. Yeah, no, he is a writer. <laughs> Randy Macho Man. The Stanties are, are right? literature. Exactly. My right. dude. I, I had Pride and Prejudice in there last time. It's good times. Right. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> and of course, now you have an editor who, for the most part, gets where you're coming from oh. i know that was the struggle in the athletic days sure they would be like what the hell is he talking about here but for the most part quadrelli gets you right well i mean he still doesn't get all the references i'm sure he's looking up who gerald diddick was at sometimes he doesn't quite get it there's a bit of an age gap but uh, you know for the most part he nails it um we'll start on our uh poll question today would you lay money that a canucks that a canucks player wins the art ross 
Sure feels like it. Um, if ever there was a time to take that bet, I, uh, you know, everyone's feeling good. It's hard not to be inspired by Rick Tockett lately. So I think I would take that because I think just because be it's the best me. time to do it doesn't mean it'll happen. It's certainly the no, best time we've seen. Doesn't I, mean it'll I, happen. I'm feeling them though. If yeah. ever you're going to put down a bet on that, now's the time, right? You got three outs there, including the guys leading the league in points right now. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, I go for that. The Canucks, again, they've, uh, you know, even the San Jose game, that one, you know, they, they, it's one of those things where they win it and, you know, you're like, oh, they're supposed to beat that. But those are games that that team can lose easily in the season's past. And I really like what talking said about that game about how it was okay for the team to be frustrated in his years or tie with it with a team like that. Cause yeah, San Jose is not going to lose every game 10 nothing. And they did put up a good fight. And so for him talking about the team kind of getting used to the idea that, you know, some games are going to go like that. Like I felt that was like spot on. Like again, Rick Talkett, just from terms of, optics in pr i don't think we've had a coach like him in a while in the city he's just like nailing it out of the park it seems like every game could you make could you make the argument though that both Pedersen and miller are suffering from wingers that could probably be doing more i mean kuzmenko's got the points but he's certainly not looking like kuzmenko and pdg is a role player and i'm not saying he's having a bad season but he's not exactly a guy that you're going to lean on to help you float an art ross season yeah, it's it's almost kind of ironic that they have. We've been talking for a couple of seasons now about how they've had too much money tied up in the wings, and now the wingers seem to be kind of one of the weaker points of their top six. And yeah, like PDG, like I, I said there in, in the stanches once that like when you're winning, you're you're kind of fine with it. Everyone doesn't really mention it. But when you're losing, that's kind of one of those things that stands out. Like this guy's not creating much. Like nothing against his game, but it's the Tanner Pearson principle. I call it where like you just want him in that bottom six. Like you know, once he goes down, that's probably where he's going to feel real nice. And right now, I think that's someone that you want, kind of want to think, do you want to rotate him over the lines? And Kuzmenko himself, I know last season we all talked about his shooting percentage, the odds of him doing that again weren't really great. And, I, and to his credit, he does have, uh, I think he listens really well to the coach. He has these bounce back games in terms of physicality and stuff, but he's not producing right now. And, and that's the bottom line. And I don't know if he's trying to, you know, set his linemates up more. It feels like he's trying to set up McCabe a lot more than shooting the puck. It seems like he's not even taking the shots as much. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it's tough. You get lost in the shine of two centers going off. Maybe that's part of it, too. I don't know. But it does feel like they could, uh, you know, maybe not be as dedicated to the lines as they are. I do think uh, PDG works in terms of doing the spade work and the little things on that line. I also think that asking him to be a second liner for 82 games is probably a 30 year old journey. Uh, a I mean, bridge, yeah, a bridge too far. What about Hoaglander? What's your assessment there? And you know, Pity gets thrown out of that game because I thought he was having a terrific one. He's another guy that kind of like Kuzmanko seems to respond to the coach and listen to what he's telling him. And for Hoaglander, board battles has been the thing I've noticed the most this season because he's not you know the biggest guy in the world, but he's using his body to separate the uh, you know the other guys from the puck and kind of create room along the boards and. He drives that puck to the net hard as anyone lately. He's going hard to the net. And so for me, yeah, and he has a skill. We've seen it before. He has actually a bit of skill this game. So if you're going to roll the dice on anyone from that bottom six, that maybe, maybe they can click. Maybe they can get unlocked a bit with the playing with some skilled players. Uh, he'd probably be the number one guy I don't kind of want to see auditioned in that top six for sure. And you're giving Tyler Myers some love these days, are you? And this is a guy that has, you know, I piled on him as well. You know, the chaos trap has been taking, taking his shots this city. And, he hasn't played well at times. It's not like it's un, it's unfair, but he's struggled. He hasn't lived up to the contract. Um, he's a guy that, again, for the longest time, we kind of watched him wondering, like, how is a guy this tall does make the mistakes he does this in terms of, you know, gap control and not using a stick to, to get the puck out of the way. And, you know, it feels like the coaching staff, whether it's Talkic or Adam Foote, kind of calmed his game down. And Rick Talkic last game even talked about how Myers has really kind of become simple. They've kind of told him, hey, you don't need to be the first guy in that rush, right? 
you coming in at number four in that rush, that's good to us. And that's like, that's the perfect way of saying it, right? Like, don't be the first guy in the seat of the crime coming at the end. And Myers has kind of been doing that. And even last game, there was one clip I pointed out where like the puck was bouncing between him and his partner and he just slowed it down and skated away to give an outlet and then got the puck and shielded two guys off and got it back the other way. And that's just a simple play, but he's doing a lot that a lot more and he's actually using his size now. And he is becoming a guy that is you can kind of depend on him in the back end. But I think the thing with him, though, is like he makes one mistake and it's all of a sudden, oh, it's chaos draft is back. And like when he happens to fall in the corner, like that could that wasn't, you know, his fault. It just kind of happens. But it's like, oh, there's chaos draft again. So it's kind of a hard stare to climb when you have that reputation in this market that he does. Well, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. It's just a noticeable slip in the corner That's true. versus a small guy, you know. And, <laughs> and, and part of the chaos draft uh, moniker is not necessarily blame. Like he's just, yeah. you know, it's just a loud spectacle sometimes. But he, I think part of it is, of course, he's not being leaned on at all for top four minutes. And and we were warned at the start of this contract. And it's even more so, of course, at the end of this long contract as he as he ages. He's the, he's the third pairing guy. He's a National Hockey League defenseman. I don't think anybody, um, you know, has an argument with that. But he's a third pairing guy. Don't ask more than you uh, can out of this guy. Yeah, I think you can. Rick mentioned it too that that natural game we all remember where Tyler Myers ran over Elias Patterson and was a direct result of two goals. Like that was the game where he the next two games I think he got 13 minutes each, and that was kind of the reset of like okay look maybe he's not that 20 minute guy because that was happened over the years we like 25 minutes a game for Tyler Myers that's yeah. not a winning strategy. And so you're right like they have lessened his impact and every once in a while yeah you can lean on him get 18 minutes out of him sure like if you're feeling it go for that. But yeah that's a guy that again that's unfortunate for his contract you don't want to be paying that luckily it's near the end of it but. For the Canucks, who are kind of, you know, maybe it's hard to move that contract, I think they're doing a, a much better job of mitigating it. Because in the past, we have seen people, whether it's the size or the contract, they just go, you know what, this guy's top four no matter what. But this current coaching staff realizes, I think, the limitations you have when you have Tyler Myers on that uh, defense. Do you think Hughes is going to get the love he deserves this year? Do you think we're going to be talking about him at the end of the season or the national media is going to be talking about him at the end of the season in the same breath as Kale McCarr? Do you think it's I deserved? I 100% deserve it. I think it will because, if anything, enough fights have been picked with the Eastern media that now they're paying attention because they don't want to look dumb. Like, oh, we better watch this guy because they're yelling at us about him. So it's, it is. And people are cluing in now. Like, yeah, I got like Pierre Lebrun telling me at 10 o'clock, I'm still up. Like, okay, like they're watching games now. Absolutely. We're shaming them into sleep right? deprivation, yeah. Wyatt, and you're at the front of the list. We got to do it. Like, bring them on. Well done. <laughs> and I think, you know, like, like Quinn Hughes has been, it is. I've, I've said it before, and, you know, he has the bit of that Pavel Bury buzz where he does things in the ice that people like, even he's not scoring people, you hear the, the gas, like, <gasps> like he does these little jukes in the ice. Everyone's like, what, like, how is he doing this? And like his lateral movement and his, his edge work is just bananas right now. You watch mm -hmm. him and he's uh, even his shot selection and his shot power. Like we talk about the summer of Kessler and Canucks lore, about how he learned to shoot the puck and got 41 goals. Like, I don't know what Quinn Hughes did in the, in the off season, but something he worked because this is like, I thought he might take the next step, and it's kind of funny because everyone's like, can he be the captain? Can he take the next step? He has blown those expectations off like in ways I never even imagined, and he deserves all the credit, all the love from the Eastern media in the world. You know when you're playing NHL 94 and like you can move laterally as quickly as you move north-south? He reminds me of that. He just fits into space. He's a video game. He is. There is absolutely is. no need for any kind of delay to pivot or change direction. He just changes direction. Well, on all mode. in one fell swoop. Rookie and, mode. And, and why that? That's the that's the summer of of Hughes. That part that I wonder about is how much stronger and fitter is he? Because using those edges like he does, the core strength and stuff that like to use it as much as he is. He's he's flashed it to us in the first few seasons a lot. 
but he, now it's like full on 60 minutes of nothing but edge work and and elusiveness that that takes a lot out of you and yet here he is doing it effortlessly it looks like I like in my head, I just create scenarios where I assume like the Sedins just took him on the gross grind like every day, like 10 times a day. A Rocky yeah. montage went off and he's just got a, a log on his back going up gross grind. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think it may have happened. I think it may have happened. Okay, lastly here, um, I see the Royals featured prominently in the last stand she's there for Monday and the Sharks game. I could see why running in those circles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, probiotics runs with the Royals. Oh, yeah. You know, right. Hand in hand. They're all right. over the probies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when so when Harry and Megan show up, is that just a no-brainer? Like, they're going to lead the Stanchies. They're going to be your focus. They're going to be in the headline. Manna from heaven. Oh, yeah, that one's neat. Like, you get there, because yeah. like, no one was expecting it, right? We get there. There was, like, an awesome pop. Like, and people were like, the response was like, we were graced by, like, a god or something. I was like, oh, my God. You hear people, like, clapping. And, like, it was it was a weird vibe. And I'm like, okay. Like, it was fun. And then, uh, but the, the loudest pop of the night, for sure, though, was, um, you know, the fact they stayed. But they showed the reaction to the JT Miller goal in arena and they showed him like harry standing up and like popping his fist and everyone lost their minds over that like it was like a goal had just been scored again like, like oh the royals accept us they like us it was such like right. a, accepting a moment hey former hey. residents of british right. columbia i don't see prince harry watching cal mccarr that's all i'm saying right? exactly <laughs> he's cast his vote exactly he's been knighted. it's it's when's... sir quinn hughes now <laughs> yeah it's not going to denver it's not british right? colorado no Okay, so in that vein, best wrestling character with a regal tie-in. King Harley Race, King Booker, Jerry the King, King Kong Bundy, William Regal. Where are you going? Regal wrestling I'll I'll give a shout-out to the Blue Blood uh, Triple H in his early days, but I'm going to go with William Regal. I just think that way he had his hand behind his back. He had that stature of a royal that I really loved. And uh, just the disdain on his face when he wrestled people, I really got behind. Yeah. Oozed elegance. Right? Yeah. Oozed like it was the need to fight, but he could yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Good cast system there with yeah. William Regal. Buddy, great to have you back on the show. Looking forward to uh, catching up with you more often as our association with the uh, Canucks Army continues and deepens. Uh, do give our best to Quadrelli. Okay. And please continue to call out his questions to you about the stanchies because i'm just as amused by those sometimes oh yeah it's been it's, it's been a lot of fun and i love having you guys part of the family and again if you guys need probies you know where to find me yes oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. Street <laughs> probies <laughs> with why aren't the stanchion thank you sir thanks guys Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation Apple at Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's gonna be great. Tom Brady mentioned this earlier in the week. But if you've been sitting at home this year going, God, the NFL's just not as interesting. Tom Brady is once again your beacon. Went on the Stephen A. Smith show. And talked about how there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. He lamented the current state of coaching, fundamentals, rules, saying they've all hurt the entertainment factor. Now, league-wide, is score, uh, league-wide scoring is down. The last two seasons, the lowest it has been since 2010. We talked about this, 13-year low in scoring. Brady doesn't see the excellence because the coaching isn't as good. Development of young players is not as good. We talked about that, yeah. Quote, the product, in my opinion, in le- is less than what it's been, Brady said. And 
how bad has it been in certain markets? The Pittsburgh Steelers firing coordinator Matt Canada earlier this week. Good name, by the way. Yes, it nice. is. Solid. I agree with both the first and surname there. <laughs> it is the first in-season coaching change for this franchise, head coach or coordinator, since 1941. The Rooney family has very, of course, they've had very few head coaches in the history of the three. Chuck Noll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin. And the Rooney family has very much been about, no, no, no. This is what we're rolling with. You have your staff. You've made your bed. We're not making changes in season. So quite a departure for the franchise when it comes to coaching stability to toss an offensive coordinator overboard. And yet if you've watched Kenny Pickett and that offense, at times this year, just unwatchable, so frustrating. Yeah, terrible. Just inept. And Canada didn't uh, didn't do himself any favors when he continued to go with Najee Harris at running back. Um, when Jalen Warren had shown himself to be this revelation at the position, I mean they are so, try- they are trying a bunch of different quarterbacks, but overall, is there less is there less trusted young players? Like in the NHL, we're seeing yeah. trust in the young player. I mean, generally, you do try your rookies. You do play your rookies in the NFL. Well, yeah. I mean, your draft picks and your undrafted free agent, like, like it, it, they got to contrive. There's, there's very few young. I mean, yes, there are big practice squads, and you're trying to groom guys from the practice squad and turn them into NFL players. But it's entirely common to see, you know, low draft picks, undrafted free agents play so first year so the only conclusion there is the quality of players is not as good now we've got an interesting perspective here because we know that nathan rourke is stuck on a practice roster and we think hey it's a cfl it's a professional league mvp and they're going way down the depth chart to what right. feels like Div 2 quarterbacks. Uh, like, why oh, my, wouldn't you give a my perfect- bears are playing f play a Div 2 rookie undrafted quarterback and there's a professional MVP on a practice run. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, other than the fact he's behind a first overall. Well, that part makes sense, yes. but still, why, isn't, why, why people... doesn't somebody else give him an opportunity? Yeah. No, it's, it's fair. It's fair. And, and I'll say this. Brady is being criticized roundly that, you know, he's less than one year out and already playing the back in my day when I played mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. But on the facts and on the merits, I don't disagree with Tom Terrific here. I think he's made a lot of valid points. And I sure hope he brings this same degree of candor to the Fox analyst role that he is taking on for next season. After his gap here. Poll question results from Tuesday. We asked you. Will Quinn Hughes surpass Kale McCarr as the best defenseman in the NHL? And a strange thing happened with yes, with uh, Tuesday's poll, everybody. Quinn Hughes was getting a ton of love from Canuck Nation, her followers, to the point where 72% were voting yes at one point. 72-28 was the split after the first six or 700 votes. Well, the poll wound up doing 
2,774 votes. And I'm not going to ask you to guess because I know you know. People said no. 53% said no. What happened? It is the World Wide Web. Right. Avalanche fans caught wind of this. (laughs) It started circulating in greater hockey circles and in avalanche circles, and they were appalled to wit. Cade, let me put this the best way possible. Quinn Hughes has three more points in two more games than Kale, and the media is all over him for having 30 points. McCarr's 27, and it's crickets, because this is routine for Kale. It's not for Quinn. Should tell you all you need. Micah Blake McCurdy. Oh, yes. Fan stats. Did Adam Fox die? I saw, I saw that. Adam Fox is a nice player. He doesn't do what McCarr or Hughes does. He doesn't. Others. Brian says, love Quinn, but McCarr's a right shot, which makes him more rare. He is better now and has already won a Stanley Cup. And a Norris Anacon Smythe. Brian says, Quinn has been since his rookie year. The coverage on Quinn has been second rate outside of Vancouver. Hoping the league finally gets to see him, Petey, and JT. They're having a remarkable season thus far. And then Atrium says, who cares? Both are elite, fun to watch. Don't waste time comparing. Enjoy two amazing players. What fun is that, though? Come on. So YouTube, uh-huh. which is, at least as of right now, hasn't been hijacked by Avs fans. 1.1K votes, 74% yes. Mm. Not surprised there. Feel free to uh, hijack, though, Avs fans. Yeah. No, if we got Avs fans tuning in here. Although the voting might be over. but Voting is forever on YouTube. Oh, is it? All right. Okay. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program and beyond. Self-reporting on Monday. I said chance to see Tiger later this week at the Hero World Challenge. It's next week. Tournament starts November 30th from Bahamas. Right. Time for our Betway bets of the day. You took the Seahawks yesterday plus 6.5, and you know me, Blake. I don't love those 6.5s no. to take. For obvious I reasons. I like to take seven, seven and a half. They're up to seven. Now you're willing to So bite. I'm going to bite at home. First ever Thanksgiving Thursday game in Seattle against the Niners on your Betway bet of the day. And that's why you got to keep checking Betway because uh, in the time that I was humming and hawing over my Betway bet of the day, I got an extra yard on total passing yards over under for Geno Smith with that wonky elbow of his. Gonna go the under, one eighty three. If he doesn't play, two forty. Do you just twenty five? By the way, yeah, I think you default at that point. I think you get your money back it's, on your betway yeah. bet of the day. Must be nineteen plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us, Rinkwide and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta. Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.